0: Good morning, everybody. It is uh, good to uh, welcome you. I join my welcome with Emmanuel's. If you're new or visiting today, it is good to be with you and uh, good to see you guys online. Well, we can't see you, but you can see us. And uh, we've got God's Word open together. If you've got a Bible open, do keep it there. We're going to be sort of flicking a little bit between those that Acts passage and the John's Gospel passage because uh, we're looking, uh, as Emmanuel's mentioned, at the early church and the early church in action. Uh, that first-century church. Jesus has ascended. He sent his Holy Spirit on the church. Uh, At Pentecost, 3,000 became Christians that day, and now they're living out their Christian life in fellowship with one another. We uh, see the core commitments, those things which are vital to the church. And, of course, we're not doing this as a a sort of history lesson to what the church was like in the first century, uh, although we want to learn what the church was like in the first century so that we can understand a little bit about what God might want for us as a church in the 21st century. Uh, what are the core commitments, what are the core uh, aspects of life in, in, in God's church? And last week we saw that the church were devoted to the apostles' teaching. It's the first thing, they said they were de- the apostles are devoted to their teaching. They're, they're avid learners, they're all ears. When the apostles speak they want to know, they want to learn, they want to hear about God and, and what it is to follow Christ. And so they're, 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 they're committed to the apostles' teaching. And we heard last week in, in the sermon that uh, to, to follow Jesus faithfully, to follow the, 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 the teaching of scripture faithfully, it's going to be hard. You have to be courageous. And uh, if you missed that uh, excellent message from O'Neill, I'd encourage you to go online, to go to the YouTube, to YouTube and, and, uh, and, and look again and, and listen. Uh, they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. Secondly, we see that this church are devoted to the fellowship Uh, That's what we're going to be focusing on today. And I just want to pause, I want to ask that God would help us, would speak to us, would speak through me, and that we would, together, through his word, hear his voice. So, Father, we thank you this morning that we have your word in our hands, that we have your spirit in our hearts. Uh, We pray that you would help me to be faithful to your word and that you would speak uh, through it into our lives, that we might grow to be the people you want us to be, to be the church, here at Christ Church, that you would have us be a church which honors Jesus, a church which is a useful instrument in your hands to accomplish your good purposes of building your kingdom in the world. So, Lord, speak. We pray and help us to listen in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the uh, uh, the, the acts. 242, they're committed to the fellowship. They devote themselves to the fellowship. Now, this word fellowship is one that might be familiar to some of you. We saw it last term in the book of Philippians, this word of koinonia. Uh, It's a wonderful word, a rich word. It describes their their unity, their connections, their their common life together. It's from the Greek word koinos, which means common. Uh, And it's all that they share together. Uh, First of all, koinonia is with God. Uh, the Apostle John writes uh, these words our fellowship our koinonia is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ so koinonia, fellowship, is with the Father Uh, those familiar words at the end of um, 2 Corinthians may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship, the koinonia of the Holy Spirit be with us all, be with you all Uh, so koinonia, fellowship uh, they're devoted to this fellowship firstly with, with God himself Church has got to be committed to fellowship with God. That is our bottom line. Uh, God calls us for Himself to be in unity. To be, as you, when you become a Christian, you don't just sort of choose to follow Jesus, you get drawn into the very life of God. It's an incredible thing. It's a total spiritual transformation to be drawn into the very life of God, uh, into this coiner near with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So uh, they're devoted to that, to that fellowship with God. And then, of course, uh, that works itself out in devotion to fellowship with one another, uh, to be brothers and sisters in God's family. So we're drawn into Christ, then we're drawn together as one another, and we commit ourselves to this fellowship. And that koinonia, that fellowship that we're part of, is marked uh, above all, according to the teaching of, of Jesus and the teaching of all scriptures, is marked by love. Jesus made that abundantly clear, didn't he, in the the reading from from John's Gospel. Uh, You might want to turn back to that. John 13, verse 34. The apostles would have heard these words from Jesus himself. They were there in the room. And then the people who were devoted to the apostles' teaching would have heard them telling what Jesus had done in that room. And this great command. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. What does that mean for, for a church? What does that mean for us as a, as, a, as a church in the 21st century to be marked by love, uh, this koinonia, this love for, for each other? Well, firstly, we are to love like Christ. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. See, a, Jesus says, look, I, I've loved you now like this. You are to love one another. And what does that mean? Well, it it means at the very least we are marked by humble, practical service. So Jesus doesn't say these words without a context. He says it in the context of this last night, uh, the night before he goes to his death, uh, there in the upper room uh, with his disciples. And we read verse uh, 3 of chapter 13. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, And that he'd come from God and he was returning to God. Jesus knew that the Father had put everything under his power. Here is the most powerful person in the universe. Uh, Here is the the one who wields unlimited authority. He's the one uh, through whom all things were made. The image of the invisible God made for him. Jesus in that room, in human form, carrying all authority, all power. Uh, Here's the one who should rightly be the object of worship. People should be bowing down before before Jesus, uh, longing to to serve him. And what does he do? Uh, He takes off his outer garment and he stoops down with a bowl of water and the creator of the universe washes his disciples' feet. I mean, this is... It's such a familiar story, I guess, for many of us, uh, but we can't cease to lose the awe of this. You see here, foot washing, I mean, foot washing, it, it just as a, as a practice, sounds a bit revolting, doesn't it? I mean, it sounds a bit disgusting to me. I mean, I've had to, had to do it once or twice in different places because uh, it's become a, sometimes a ceremony that you do. And, and, I mean, feet aren't that nice. I mean, some people have a thing about feet, don't they? I mean, We have a thing about foot massaging in our house. In fact, if I want to watch football, I have to either uh, do the ironing or massage Debbie's feet, um, <laughs> which is fine because you know she's usually well clean and they're not, they're okay. And, and uh, uh, but you know the washing dirty yucky feet is not that pleasant. Uh, you know we wear shoes and socks, even that you know can be nasty. But if you're a dirty, sandy, dusty, messy, uh, getting down, just the very act of it is is nasty in lots of ways. Uh, of course, in the Eastern culture, there's something uh, significant about touching feet. Feet were, um, uh, you know, were, were something that they were uh, despised. Even now, today, you wouldn't sit with your feet up or feet pointing in someone's direction. Uh, there's something about feet. And, and, and so the washing of feet, which was a in, in a... A culture like that was, was necessary before meals would, was reserved for the most despised servant. Not even a Jewish servant or slave could, would, would wash feet. It was disp- for the already despised Gentiles. So here they are, the 12 in the upper room uh, with, with Jesus, and they're settling down for their meal. And, and who's going to wash the feet? Well, none of the disciples were, were up for that. None of them were sort of jumping up to, to wash the feet and his... Jesus, the very creator of the world, uh, the, the, the perfect man, uh, the one with all authority and all power, he takes off his outer garments and he kneels and washes his disciples' feet. And then after supper he says, as I have loved you, so you too must love One another. See, here's our model for for Christian love it is to humble ourselves, to to stoop down, to raise others up, to consider others more important than ourselves. To do that in practical ways, not just in our hearts and in our minds, but to do it with humble, practical service of, of one another. I mean, that is how we love ourselves, isn't it? By, 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 by practical service. That's how we, how we love ourselves. You know, when you get up in the morning, you go to, you go to the bathroom mirror, you don't sort of look in and think, oh, oh, John, you are lovely today. Oh, I do love you. I mean, I hope you don't do that. If there's anything like me, you sort of drag yourself there. You, it's manifestly not true that you're lovely. You're, you know, your woofy breath and, and uh, hair's everywhere and, and uh, uh, your eyes are full of sleep. And... and, and and you, what do you do? Well, you, you wash your face and you brush your hair and you clean your teeth and you go and put clothes on your body to warm them up and, and you feed your face with food. And, and that's how we love ourselves. That is how Jesus loves his people. And, and that's what we see in a, in a radical way, don't we, in this snapshot of the, the early church. Uh, There it is, uh, verse 44 of chapter 2. All the believers, these believers devoted to the fellowship, uh, were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple cot. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. And this is stooping down, practical, humble service of one another. Of course, people get a bit nervous about these verses, don't they? I mean, you know, are these the first communists. You know, they've got everything... In, is that what they're just telling them everything, they're just putting it all into a pot and then, and then sort of spreading it for even, uh, equally. Well... Does that mean, does it mean, these verses, we shouldn't have private property? Does it mean, you know, as we think of Jesus, the rich young ruler, go and sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me? You know, is that applies to everyone? Should we do that? Is that what we should be doing in Christchurch? Should we, should we all put in our, you know, okay, we're all going home now, get on the estate agents, you've got to sell your houses, uh, and we're going to put them in into a pot, and then we'll all come in, and then we can divvy it up equally, and, uh, and then we, no one will be without so what he said? I, I, no, I, he's not saying that. It's okay. You can breathe again. Uh, we're still radically challenging so don't not breathe at all. Uh, you know what well, we have to be clear: Jesus didn't say that to every person. He said it to the rich young ruler because that was his ultimate obstacle to following Jesus. Plenty of people he didn't say, "Go and give up everything." Uh, even if we read the text closely here, in, in the Book of Acts, uh, they sold property and, and, and possessions as there was need. Uh, when we read on, verse 45, they broke bread in their homes. I mean, they clearly had homes. They kind of all have sold them if they were still meeting, breaking bread and, and eating in their homes. Uh, you know, these verses, verses don't imply communism or the demand for everyone to take a vow of poverty, but they do demonstrate a radical, practical love for one another. They, they demonstrate an incredible mindset change. They demonstrate a, a desire to, to stoop down and, and, and serve those in the fellowship who, who had need. It was a mindset shift. What I have, not just my possessions and my money, but my time and my energy, I'm simply stewards of that. And, I, and, and it belongs to God and I want to, bow down and use that to serve others, to serve one another in the the koinonia, in the fellowship that's what it was in in, in this early church open their homes, come in come in, let's break bread let's let's, let's share life together Christ-like, humble practical service of one another I mean, it's deeply challenging, isn't it, in our kind of individualistic, privatised world, maybe enhanced in some ways by COVID. Early days, it was all sort of, we were looking outwards, but then our homes are sort of closed in and we weren't really allowed to have people in. And, and then uh, we, we pull up the drawbridge and we're tempted to retreat from one another. We get kind of comfortable and used to being in our own space and our own comfort. Yeah, I wonder what humble, practical... Service would look like for us in, in our fellowship. It might be as simple, I think, as, as just making it a priority to come together. Even that, instead, is sacrificial for, for, for some. I'd rather be under the duvet or out in this lovely sunshine, the sun coming through. Gosh, I could have been out on the Surrey Hills today. But no, you guys, you've chosen to, to come together serve one another, to love one another, and then I'm not just thinking I'm, I'm coming to consume, I'm coming to, 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 to get what I can from, from here, uh, but I'm coming to, to serve. How Lord am I going to be able to serve my brothers and sisters today? Who am I going to speak to? How can I go and talk to someone who I've not met before and I could, I could listen carefully? How can I give time in which I'm attentive to, to somebody to, to really listen to their heart, rather than have a, a quick nod in, in the direction and then I mean, it's hard, isn't it? Because we're busy in the 21st century. We are busy people, but a sacrifice. This is humble, practical service of one another. And of course, not just when we come together uh, like this, but when uh, we 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 go out and we want to stay in touch and give someone a call to see how they're doing because you haven't seen them. Uh, To see if we can meet a need where we find that need. Uh, hospitality is a big theme in, in the New Testament, uh, and and it's a it's critical to our our life as a church that we are seeing each other not just in here but but in our homes. Uh, used to have a, well I have a friend, a wonderful couple, Graham. He's a he's a vicar now, and um, but uh, at the time when when I knew him, Julie was. His wife is a civil service lawyer, she worked in the, in, the, in, the, in the city and Graham looked after the kids. And, and, but together as a, as a family they had this amazing uh, openness to people into coming into their home. And, uh, and, they, and they did it really, system- I mean they were very organised people and they did it very systematically. They had the church addresses, they basically just worked through A to Z over probably a number of years. Every Sunday, they'd have one or two families or and people coming in. Not people they knew, not just for their friends, not just for the people they liked, not just people. But they, they would just work through it, and they would come into their home. and They didn't they didn't have a sort of elaborate home or elaborate food or any. It was just simple lunch, but it was an open home. It was a loving home. It was it was koinonia. Uh, They they would have could have had, they could have been watching the football at lunchtime. They could have been going out for walks with their family. They could have been doing lots of other things they chose to make that a real priority for them. Not everyone's going to be able to do it like them, but it's challenging. Fellowship. As I have loved you, so love one another. I gather at Christchurch, we used to have a a sort of regular Sunday lunch at the end of the service um, uh, here Uh, that would be welcome for for anybody. And it would be a source of welcome and encouragement and and fellowship. And I hope that uh, we'll... Uh, be able to reinstate that at some point where we are able to, to do that uh, in here as a church. Uh, but I hope our, our church together will be marked by welcome of others, a sense of love, a sense of support, a sense of I need to get to know my family. Well, that's a, that's the calling, we can work it out and we'll have a bit of time at the end just to pray and say, Lord, how do, what does this look like for me if I'm going to love like Jesus in my own life, in my own family, in my own church? Uh, what might be the impact of that? Well, this is what Jesus says, doesn't he? He says, um, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, our love will, will point others to Christ. And, and notice here he's not saying our love for others are outside of course that is vital we are to love our neighbour as ourselves we are to love all uh, uh, but here he's saying as you love one another uh, the people will know that you're my followers my disciples yeah, it's not if you've got correct theology that people will know that you're my disciples it's not if you put a poster on the outside of the door of the church saying we're disciples of Jesus that they'll know you're my disciples but it's as they see and witness and experience uh, the sacrificial uh, humble practical love of God's people that they will know that we really are Jesus's followers because we want to love like him I don't think there's any other group you could think of, people from different ages, different stages, different backgrounds, who are less concerned with their own needs and more concerned with the needs of others than in the church. That's what Jesus expects to see in his church, in his disciples. And that kind of community, uh, you won't find anywhere else, will be attractive if we're really living out that kind of life. People are, are looking for, for love, aren't they? This is um, uh, years ago now. Mother Teresa uh, said this, the, you know, the biggest disease today is not leprosy or tuberculosis, but rather the feeling of being unwanted, uncared for, and deserted by everybody. And, of course, that was, she was talking about India context, uh, but she might have been talking about the, the whole world, and I think that's only increased since she said that, uh, in our increasingly fragmented and individualistic world, in which we have Facebook friends uh, that have sometimes replaced real friendship, and we have connections and contacts, uh, rather than deep-seated and deep, uh, deeply ingrained uh, relationships, And Jesus says, look, that mustn't be the church. We mustn't be consumers in the church. Uh, we're to be those who, who are devoted to the fellowship, devoted to one another. And as we are, as we live that out in practical, real ways, uh, so others will see, and they'll be drawn to Jesus. Uh, that was certainly true in the, in the early church. This was um, uh, the Roman writer Tertullian in the second century, he was writing uh, about what the pagans, sort of how they viewed the church. They looked in on the church and, and this is what they were saying. Look, see how they love one another. How they're ready even to die for one another. This is a level of commitment, of devotion to the fellowship that they could see as they looked in on the church. Oh, full of uh, A community full of Christ-like love will uh, point people to, to Jesus. No, you know, Mission evangelism, we'll be thinking about that and, and of course I believe that is f- completely necessary. It's calling to, to go into all the world, to make disciples of all the nations, to proclaim uh, the truth of the gospel is, is vital and we've got to be part of that and we'll think about that. But, but of course we you know, mustn't be stupid. You know, what people see in the church, what they experience in the community of, of the church was going to shape whether they take it with any seriousness or not you know someone can encounter an unwelcoming unloving uh, church in which no one any takes real interest in, in each other in which they just sort of come do a bit of sort of, up, sort of worshipy stuff and then, and then leave again uh, and they, 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 they're getting this message which is good news about a God who loves and is committed to transforming lives and transforming community I mean they're not going to take it seriously if they just experience that. But if they need a community of people who love one another and they hear of a God who has sent his son Jesus because out of love, uh, to give his life, that they might be brought into a fellowship, a koinonia with, with God and with each other. Well, that's powerful. And their ears may be attentive to the voice of God. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, that says Jesus. Imagine the, the impact. I mean, that's, we see it actually in the first century church, don't we, there back in, in, in Acts 2, they broke bread in their homes, they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. That a wonderful impact, that early church, uh, this loving Koinonia community had. You know, God is glorified. Uh, people look in and say, wow, that is amazing what's going on. And they come to, to know Jesus for themselves. Don't do we want to have an impact like that? Do we want to have an impact like that in, in Christchurch, in Surbiton, in this area? Kim, uh, Kate was praying for that. Do we want to see that kind of impact? You're allowed to say yes. If you do, you'll even nod. If you don't want to see that impact, that's, that's fine. But if you want a a church that that glorifies God, uh, that others look at and and say, yeah, these these are people whose lives are being changed because they're committed to, we can see uh, a work of love and transformation, and we want to have something of that. Uh, If that's what we want to see, well, let let, let that be our prayer. That we would be a church like uh, this first century church. How will that be? Just as we finish and close out, how will that be? How is it possible when we are, by nature, self-oriented? You know, even if you're saved, you've still got that sinful nature which turns you inward on yourself uh, and would prefer to, to look after my own needs than others. Uh, how will that be if, you know, in a world which keeps telling you to, to sort of look after number one and look after the family first and, and if you've got anything left over, then how, how can we change? How can we be this Christ-like uh, community and love like him? Um, well, it seems to me that... Uh, The only way is if our love is empowered by Christ's love. We're not going to be doing it by self-will. We're not going to be doing it by by me standing in the front and saying, come on, let's do it, let's love love each other. And we all go out saying, yeah, let's love each other. And then then by tomorrow morning or even this afternoon, we'll have sort of forgotten and we'll be... We can't do it by self-will, by trying a bit harder. We're going to love as... We experience Christ's love more fully, more richly, more deeply in our own hearts as his love shapes our heart. Uh, did you notice, Jesus says, look, I, a new command I give you, love one another. And the disciples are all thinking, well, come on, Jesus, I don't know what you mean because we've read our Old Testament and it says to love one another. You know, they'd read you know, Exodus 20, verse 12, Leviticus 19, verse 18, Deuteronomy 25, verse 16, love your neighbour as yourself. It's not a new thing, is it? God has always been telling people to, to love others. And in all cultures and in all countries and in all religions and in all there's a there's a command to, to love others. This isn't so why is it new? Why is this a new commandment? It's not new in the sense that God has never told people to love before. But with Jesus, there is a new dynamic to this love, there is a new power. That enables those who are in Christ to to love. We see it and we discover it most supremely at the cross. Jesus chooses to give his very life. He loves them, John 13 verse 1, to the very end. The washing of the disciples' feet, the stooping down, is, is just a little tiny foretaste of what Jesus is going on to do the very next day. He knows that he's going to be betrayed, he's going to be arrested. He knows that his friends are going to abandon him, lies will be told about him. He knows that he'll be falsely accused, he'll be mocked and laughed at and beaten and spat on. And he'll have nails hammered through his hands and through his feet and he's going to be hung on a cross. And worse still, uh, the sky is going to turn dark and and, and he's going to cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As he's cut off from fellowship with his father in the most profound way as he carries the sins of the world and the judgment we deserve. Uh, Jesus is going to face the most ultimate horror that none of us could possibly imagine. And why is he going to do it? He's going to do it because he loves us. He's done it for you because he loves you. I remember seeing on the uh, uh, poster once with um, a picture of the cross that said this, it wasn't the nails that held Jesus to the cross, it was his love for you and for me. We need to get this love into our hearts, into our minds, into our souls. Just as we come to the cross, as we experience the love of Jesus, Jesus uh, becomes our, our saviour and Lord, uh, as we understand and experience that love, so that love fills us and enables us to love others in a way that we could never do it just uh, on our own. Uh, it was Paul, wasn't it, who said, God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. As we come to Christ, God pours his spirit into our hearts and it changes us from the inside and it transforms us and he enables us to, to love. This snapshot of Acts 2, it's post, post-Pentecost. Same chapter, we've heard Pentecost, the Spirit comes, 3,000 are saved and their lives are transformed and changed already. You know, we won't love Jesus and we won't love one another as Jesus did unless we grasp hold of the love that Jesus has for us. Uh, If you're here this morning, you haven't yet experienced that love of Christ filling your heart, you've not knelt at the foot of the cross and received his forgiveness and grace I want to encourage you to to do that do that today even if you're not quite sure how come and speak to myself or or Emmanuel or Neil. Uh, come to Hope Explored explore more of this love that Jesus has of course most of us know this love many of us here know that love we would pray that that we might know it freshly we might know it afresh that Christ's love might fill our hearts that we would be those who love one another. The musician is going to come up in a, in a moment. realise time is, is ticking away. and we've, That's my, my prayer, and I hope our prayer for us as a church will be a church that is marked by love, by a community devoted to fellowship. And uh, we're going to just respond as they, as they come. Uh, just in a moment, as, as, as before we sing, we're going to sing of, of Christ's love, of his servant uh, nature, of our hope found in, in him. Um, but maybe just to, before we actually sing, some music plays, uh, let's just have a couple of moments of, of commitment to ourselves. Of, of thinking, how, how, how God am I going to be part of this fellowship? How am I, I going to stoop down and, and love others? How am I going to give myself in service in practical ways? Uh, how can I serve? Uh, and, and to seek his love again to fill your hearts afresh this morning uh, to enable you to, to, to serve so let's, uh, let's just have this moment of quiet let's hear those words again of, of Jesus devoted to the fellowship Jesus says this is my command a new command I give you love one another as I have loved you So you must love one another. For by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love one another. It's that moment of quiet before him. Father, we pray that you would forgive us for those times when our hearts grow cold. Cold towards you and often cold towards others. And we fail to rest and trust in your love for us, in that security of your love. We fail to give our lives in love for others. Would you, Lord, we pray, refresh our hearts, uh, take us back to the cross, give us an experience anew of that great love you have for us. We thank you for our fellowship with the father and the son and the spirit and we do pray that your spirit would enable us to give our lives to devote ourselves to the fellowship to give our lives in humble practical service of others lord work that in us that this church christ church may be marked by love it may be a place where drawn people are drawn and they find that love community. Lord do it we pray for for our good, for the good of the community around but above all for the glory of Jesus that he our servant king would be glorified uh, in our midst. For we ask it in his name. Amen.